This podcast is not legal advice and should not be relied upon as such. You should always obtain legal advice about your specific circumstances. Hi, and welcome to Smarter Lawcast with Hall & Wilcox. My name is Mark Dunphy, and I'm a partner at Hall & Wilcox. In this season, we're looking at what you need to do if you want to set, set up business in Australia. Today, I'm joined by my colleagues, Rennie Fan and Conrad Smith from our commercial and corporate team to talk about Australia's Foreign Investment Review Board, known as FERB. If you're a foreign company or investor looking to invest or transact in Australia, you'll definitely need to give consideration to whether you'll be dealing with FERB or not. So today, we want to talk with Rennie and Conrad about what FERB is, what type of transactions are subject to FERB notification and involvement, how long the approval process takes, and what happens if foreign investors go ahead with their investments uh, or transactions without approval. So with that, Rennie, can we start with the basics and can you tell us what FERB is and what it does, what its, what its role is? Yeah, thanks, Mark. As Mark just mentioned, Australia has a foreign investment approval regime that regulates certain types of acquisitions by foreign investors acquiring interest in Australian companies, business, assets, interest in Australian land. The Foreign Investment Review Board, which we often call FERB, plays a key role in the regime. FERB is a non-statutory body established in 1976 to advise the Treasurer on Australia's foreign investment policy. It only has an advisory role. The decision to approve or deny a foreign investment application is ultimately made by the Australian Treasurer. Uh, When making its decision, the Treasurer is advised by FERB, which examines foreign investment uh, proposals, consults with the other relevant Australian government agencies as required, and advises on the national interest and national security implications. The aim of FERB is to basically avoid foreign control of key strategic assets or companies, and at the same time, hoping to strike a balance between bringing foreign investments and protecting the community's national interests. Great. That's a great um, overview, Rani. Conrad, what type of transactions are generally subject to FERB involvement, and when does somebody wanting to transact in Australia need, need to give consideration uh, as to whether they should be involving FERB in their decision-making process. Thanks, Mark. It, it's qu- quite a detailed test. Um, it's the test is basically when a foreign person proposes to take a uh, what's known as a relevant interest in Australian land or entities or businesses. Randy mentioned, um, and that acquisition triggers a financial threshold. So there are a number of elements in that. And I can unpack that quickly for you. So a foreign person is an individual who has a unrestricted uh, right to reside in Australia. Uh, So that's primarily Australian citizens or non-citizens who have permanent residency uh, visa entitlements. Those who are on visas, permanent residency visas, need to have resided in Australia for 200 days in the previous one year. Uh, then there are also foreign governments and uh, foreign government investors. Um, foreign government investors are entities and trusts in which a foreign entity holds 20% or more interest. 
And then there are also corporations, um, trustees of trusts and general partners of partnerships where a foreigner has a 20% interest or a number of foreigners in aggregate hold a 40% interest. So that's who our foreign person is. So they are the people that would need to come to FERB and they come to FERB if they are acquiring an interest in Australian land, um, which is can be a direct interest. So it, they become the registered proprietor of the land. They're seeking to acquire shares or units in a landholder, which is an entity or a trust whose assets by value comprise more than 50% in land. Or it could also be a, a mortgage or over land or even a, a lease of more than five years over land. Um, then when we're looking at acquiring interests in entities or trusts, if the foreign person is seeking to acquire 20% or more in a relevant um, Australian corporation or trust, then they need to seek approval. Or if they're a foreign government investor, then the threshold is a lot lower and they only need to acquire 10% before they need to come to FERB. Um, and it, it's worth pointing out that, that it's not only a direct interest, but also if they're acquiring um, an indirect interest, so if they're making a offshore acquisition, so they perhaps might be acquiring an interest in a holding company that owns Australian assets, but the holding company is overseas, that itself can be a, a relevant transaction. And once we've gone through those gates, there is that final step of, is the transaction of a sufficient value to trigger FERB? And there are a number of uh, monetary thresholds that need to be passed before um, that box is ticked. So if it's developed commercial land, then it's quite a high threshold at um, $289 million. Acquiring a, um, an entity is also $289 million, but it drops very quickly down when you're talking about agricultural land, agricultural businesses, where the acquisition value threshold is only 15 million. And when we're talking about vacant land, residential land and, and mining tenements, um, that threshold comes down um, to zero. And then again, there's a slightly different treatment when it comes to foreign government investors who have a across the board $0 threshold. Um, and then one final element that sort of sits a little bit outside that test is when we're talking about uh, acquisitions that might be considered to pose a national security um, issue. And those acquisitions have a $0 threshold and they're focused on um, acquisitions that might adversely affect Australia's national security in the areas of critical infrastructure, such as electricity assets um, and water and other utilities, aviation assets, banking, uh, broadcast assets. Um, it's also been included in food and grocery networks. So um, major supermarket chains and um, transport networks are all caught um, if they are sufficient size. And that's quite large at this point, um, generally around a, a billion dollars or more. So it sounds like Conrad that in the event of either a reasonably significant commercial transaction or certain transactions that might be related to uh, to national security or those sorts of issues that anybody coming to Australia can expect that they should be contemplating involving for as part of their process. Absolutely. And 
while that was quite a lot of information, um, the good news is Hall & Wilcox has quite a handy um, online application, web-based application that would guide people through all of these considerations so they can input their proposed transaction and can get a, an initial view as to whether they should seek um, further advice. And um, we'd include a link to that in the um, podcast background information. Terrific, thank you. Rani, could we switch over and then and consider perhaps what FERB take into account in deciding whether they will allow an investment or a transaction to proceed um, or not? Can you walk us through perhaps the test that FERB apply and the different criteria that they might, might look at in deciding whether something can proceed? Yes. So for uh, usually, uh, well, the treasurer um, ultimately approves transactions which are not contrary to the national interest or national security interest. Um, as a general guide for national interest or national security test, um, for often exam things such as whether the transaction is a threat to the national security. Um, as Conrad just mentioned, it's mainly to check whether the assets are national security assets, uh, whether it's related to, for example, the defense or uh, some sensitive assets like telecommunications, which is under more rigid screening. And second thing they will look at is whether it will affect the competition among the industries. And FERB will also consider in light of other Australian government policies, such as tax. FERB will as well consider the impact on economy and the community. That's uh, like whether this proposed transaction will provide new jobs. Uh, that, that would be a uh, major consideration that FERB puts on the uh, approval to the uh, proposed acquisition. The last thing FERB will consider is the character of the investor, for example, whether it is a foreign government investor, which is under a more close sort of screening. If FERB, the treasurers are satisfied that these tests are passed, they will grant approvals. And such approval um, may be granted on a unconditional basis or subject to a binding conditions. So, we often see a FERB approval subject to binding conditions. FERB has stated that conditions are regulatory mechanism by which it can allow foreign investment to occur when uh, at the same time, manage the risks to national interests or national security interests associated with that investment. The types of conditions that have been imposed on FERB approvals would including say reporting conditions, tax conditions, transaction related conditions. For example, in a land uh, acquisition, you would often see a land development conditions, such as you have to develop the land within two or three years, you need to commence development, and you're not allowed to sell the land before construction completion. It's pretty much to avoid uh, foreign investor to do land banking. Um, so that's the typical conditions. And in terms of the uh, verb approvals, there are usually two types of verb approvals. Uh, the first type is called uh, no objection notification. 
which approves a single transaction. This is most common um, that used by uh, FERB in terms of like probably, I would say 60% or more FERB approvals are uh, the non-objection notifications. The other type of, of approvals is, we, uh, is called exemption certificates, which allow foreign persons to undertake multiple acquisitions of Australian business without having to obtain individual approval for each transaction. Um, it is more like a pre-approval for a program of acquisitions. The exemption certificates are intended for those foreign persons with a high volume of investments. They're often granted to large investment funds, particularly those with low risk foreign investors who intend to make a series of passive investments in a non-sensitive business. Okay, thank you. So it sounds like there is quite the process and there is tests that must be taken into account and conditions can then be um, imposed. Once that approval has been given uh, with or without those conditions, uh, can the approval be revisited? So if, for instance, it was a foreign government investing in Australia and the political situation in that uh, country changed, um, does FERB have the ability to revisit its approval and subsequently reverse an approval that they might have um, previously given? Yes, that's a very good question. And usually the approval itself would have a reporting conditions, which requires the applicant to report to FERB if any subst substantial situation changed, for example, shareholding uh, change to their sh ultimate shareholders or the um, change to the acquired assets or the substantial interest in the business. That second, FERB has a coin power. So basically they can uh, visit transactions which occurs in the past 10 years, whether they have granted approval or not, FERB will be able to revisit the approvals and make sure that the applicants are in compliance. Okay, great, thank you. I guess that makes it, in some circumstances, makes it difficult for businesses or governments wanting to invest in Australia to have absolute certainty that something's set in stone. But from an Australian perspective, it makes sense that there's the ability to revisit things. Okay. Now, once an application's been made, Conrad, and we uh, it's, it's decided that somebody needs to give consideration to uh, involving FERB, and it's something that is subject to FERB approval, how long does that process take? I mean, we all know these bureaucratic processes uh, can take a long time, and governments don't necessarily move fast at all time, and this is a politicised process. Having said that, that needs to be balanced with the needs of business where decisions need to be made sometimes very quickly. Um, so how long does the, does the process take? Maybe if you could walk us through a typical uh, type application and what it might look like. Sure. So the, the, a typical application will say go in day one. By day two, you should be getting a, um, a notification from FERB as to the fee that needs to be paid. And once that fee is paid, FERB's clock starts ticking. Um, under the legislation, FERB has uh, 30 days to consider an application. And once they've made a decision, they have 10 days to communicate that decision to the applicant. So that's the statutory regime. Reality, 
um, means that that 10 days is not used because we're in an electronic world. And so generally the notification of decision will come the day of or day after the decision. Reality also means that 30 days uh, is somewhat aspirational unless it is a very straightforward transaction. Because as Rennie mentioned, FERB also consults with other government departments. When they receive an application, they will share that information and the application with um, other um, organs of the uh, of Australian government, including the likes of the Australian Tax Office, the Competition Commission. Um, they'll also consult with state revenue officers, so the, the officers within each state that collect revenue on land transactions and um, some other transactions. And so to some extent, FERB is reliant on those consulting parties coming back to them. And FERB will endeavour to meet that 30-day period. But in circumstances where those consult partners are experiencing high volumes or um, there are particular sensitivities around the sector or the business that is being invested into, um, or if the investor is sort of undertaking a, a broader uh, political or strategic objective in making that application, then we'd expect that the FERB review period will be quite a bit longer, um, probably in reality around 45 to 60 days. Now, as I mentioned, the, there is a statutory period of 30 days that FERB is required to, to meet. Where that 30-day period is approaching, FERB will generally come to the applicant and seek an extension which is an extension by consent. And that is normally a, a period that FERB feels it would be adequate for them to complete their review, get the decision in front of the relevant minister and have that final determination made. Where the applicant uh, is resistant or, or doesn't take the opportunity to have a voluntary extension, the treasurer has the power to unilaterally um, extend a decision period by a further 90 days, um, but that is sort of the, the, it's a bit of a one-shot deal for them. So it's 90 days or nothing for them. The way the statute works is that if a decision is not made by um, the 30-day period and there's been no extension or hasn't been made at the end of the 90-day extension, it is deemed to be an approved um, application. The reality is FERB never allows it to get to that point, but it is a point worth noting. While that does sound a bit sort of gloom and doom, FERB is um, a cooperative body. And so where there are genuine commercial deadlines that an applicant needs to meet, um, FERB is very willing to um, try to meet those deadlines. And sometimes in addition to a, a notification we would make submissions to FERB about the consequences of not meeting the deadline. Um, and they will often share that with their consulting parties and really try to, um, to meet that. And, it, and when you're making that sort of commercial deadline notification, what you're talking about is basically the financial consequences that would arise if the decision is not made in time. So that could be if the target if the acquisition is perhaps in distress and if the transaction is not completed, there'd be loss of jobs or there'd be loss of opportunity um, or there would be a, 
um, a failure of the acquired business to continue to deliver essential services. So there are a lot of moving parts that come into that commercial deadline discussion um, and, and Ferb is, is very willing to accommodate that. I've got a couple of questions for you, Conrad, further about that decision-making process. Um, firstly, um, how often, so it's, it, it is quite the process, how often does that process end up with a negative decision with Ferb saying no? Uh, very rarely. Generally, the way Ferb operates is as a screening body to so that the government is aware of what acquisitions are being made of Australian assets. And then where there is a rejection, it is normally because there is some particular political or national security risk that the government would consider to be too much of a risk. So it may be that they don't want essential infrastructure assets or perhaps goods or minerals that are required for the Australian economy to be taken away from Australian use. It's very rare that it actually gets to the point of a, a, a rejection by FERB. FERB's initial reaction would be to try to alleviate those perceived risks through the imposition of the types of conditions that Rani mentioned. Thank you. My second question about the decision-making process is the extent to which they're public decisions. And so do we effectively build up a body of jurisprudence that potential investors and their lawyers can, can take into account, or is it a secretive cloaked process? Um, unfortunately, it is a process that is secretive. It is covered by um, confidentiality undertakings by FERB. And there's some sense to that because when you, you're obliged to make a notification before the transaction is put in place. So there, obviously there are commercial sensitivities at play. If a decision is published, then that decision will also include the, the reasons for the decision, which may be exposing the um, applicant to unwanted scrutiny. Um, and also because for basically imposes government policy rather than strict rules around what the national interest is and what the national security concerns are, it's designed to be a, a test of some flux. And so precinct is perhaps not as useful when um, geopolitics changes. Okay, great. Now, Randy, to finish off, I wanted to ask you about what happens if people go ahead with investments or transactions, either in ignorance of their need to get FERB approval or contrary to um, a FERB decision. What happens there? So how meaningful, I guess, is FERB approval and what sanctions can be or consequences can be involved? Uh, for somebody that acts contrary to FERB or in ignorance of FERB? Thanks, Mark. Compliance with foreign investment legislation is a priority for the Australian government. So to ensure the um, foreign investment is not contra contradictory to national interest is what they try to protect. Um, so foreign persons who fail to meet their obligations under law may be subject to a disposal order, um, civil penalty orders, and or a criminal order, criminal pro, um, prosecutions 
the most common penalty we have seen is really the disposal order. FERB usually would uh, would require um, the uh, foreign investors to dispose the assets which they should have not bought or they should have obtained FERB approval prior to the acquisition within certain period of time. You probably see the news they were uh, overseas investors bought property assets which uh, was subject to FERB approval or was not allowed to be bought by foreigners. And then there was like um, order from FERB to dispose the property assets within uh, three months. And in terms of the criminal penalty, the maximum criminal penalty for an individual can be 10 years in prison or an overall, overall um, $3 million Aussie dollar penalty or both. Um, so the consequences are quite serious. And I would say um, most recently we've seen um, FERB actually exercise the power and impose these sort of penalties onto the foreign investors. We suggest the clients or um, the foreign investors come to us and talk to us first before they make any acquisition straight away to avoid all these penalties. Well, that makes a lot of sense given uh, the sanctions that you've mentioned there, um, Rani. Um, Look, with that, we might um, wind up today's episode. I want to thank everybody for listening to it. I particularly want to thank my colleagues, Rani Fan and Conrad Smith, for sharing those insights um, into FERB. I've certainly learned um, a lot about that. Um, If you have any questions, please feel free to get in touch with us. You can find our details on our website at hallandwilcox.com.au or you can connect with us on LinkedIn and be directed to any of either Rennie Conrad or myself or any other lawyer at the firm. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate, review and follow our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and you can subscribe on our website to be notified of new episodes. Thanks again for listening. Thank you. Thanks, Mark.